0: Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our New Has Come sermon series. This series explores our identity as a follower of Jesus, how our old selves have left and the new has come. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. So there I was, a 15-year-old teenage boy coming home to find my mom, sitting at the table making the I caught to you face. Now every mom knows this face. It's, it's the face that you make when, when you've caught your child and you want them to know that you caught them, but you don't want them to tell them what you caught them for. You know exactly what I'm talking about, moms. Now let me just give you a little context to this story. You know, when I was 15 years old, you know, I, I kind of, stumbled a little bit through high school. You know, I, I, I grew up difficultly, and I actually grew up here, and so Mother's Day was especially special for me at Valley Brook because I feel like I had about 400 moms every Sunday when I come to church. There were many of you in this room that would, would see me and would console my parents as I grew up difficultly. Um, many of you would call me out. Many of you had to deal with me in Sunday school classes or whatever that is, but But so, you know, when I was in high school, I I really didn't always make the best decisions. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, you know, later on as I share a little bit of my story. But, you know, so I I come home from school. Now, I don't remember, and I called my mom to ask her permission to share this story. But I actually don't remember what I was caught for. You know, my mom's like, I think it was a lie. I'm not really sure. But we couldn't remember what we were caught for. All I knew is that when I walked in the house, uh, I came home from soccer practice, and when I walked in the house my mom was sitting there with the I caught you look. Now, here's the thing that I learned very quickly as a teenager is that you never want to guess at what your mom catches you at because especially if you grew up like me, there's a very good chance that what my mom caught me at was very different than what I was going to confess that she caught me too. Now, this is not a trick, teenagers. Do not do this. Always be honest. But for me, you know, I walked home, so in my head I'm like, okay, if I confess, then like, my mom maybe will go easy on me but the problem is, is that I've done a couple things wrong. I don't want to confess to the wrong thing and have her be like, "Oh, really?" So, so I get home, and so I, again, I don't remember. I wish, I wish, for the sake of the story, we remember what I was caught for. But I walk in the house. My mom is sitting there. She's like, "Welcome home, honey." And and in this moment, because again, you see these like shows, and mom's like, "Welcome home, sweetie." No, no, no. I mean, my mom is the most loving, wonderful woman. You all know my mom died in her man's. But, but she welcomed me home. She's sitting there, and she kind of had that look on her face. Welcome home, honey. And I'm like, oh, no. And so I walk in. So, so we commenced to, as, as I would always instigate, because I was an angry high school kid, we commenced to get into a big argument about whatever it was that I was caught with. And so, so she, she comes at me. I get defensive. And I remember in this specific moment, what I do remember, I don't remember what the issue was, but I remember how I reacted. And so, so I'm in this moment. There's there's a, a lot of just that high school teenage boy angst in me. I'm just upset. I'm angry. There's a lot of my pride that I got caught. That I felt ashamed. All of these different things, and I was just upset in the moment. So I did the logical thing for any 15 year old teenage boy to do. I took off out the door running, saying the form probably most hateful words you could. I hate you, mom. This is a good start to our Mother's Day, you know, so, right? Okay. So, so I run out the door. I hate you, Mom. I'm in tears. Now, let me remind you. This is something that many of you don't know about me. So I'm going to share you a fun fact about Dan Herman's. I used to be athletic, okay? I used, I, I used the term used to very intentionally. I'm working on it. But I used to be very athletic. A lot of you knew me back then, and I was a soccer player. And I was a pretty, I'll say, I was a pretty fast, my dad's here, so he can attest to this. I was a pretty fast soccer player. I was a little skinny kid, and I would—I was I ran fast. And so... When I ran out the door, I ran out the door with some gumption. I, I took off out the door. I hate you, Mom. I was upset. I was ashamed. I was guilty. Whatever it was, I, just, I was upset, and I knew I didn't want to cry in front of my mom, because if I cried in front of my mom, then she won, and I didn't want her to win, so I just took out the door. Again, Natural. And so so I'm running <laughs> just I don't even know where I was going at this point, but I'm just anger running, okay? If any of you anger run, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm now running just makes me angry, but so I'm anger running <laughs> That was just for second service. I'm 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 anger running and and then this this moment happens that I will never forget to this day. I hear I mean, not that loud, but footprints, footprints behind me. And I turn around. Now, let me remind you, I am a soccer player. I'm a 15 year old teenage boy soccer player. I'm fast. I turn around to see my mom. I will not say she's middle aged, I would never ever say that. But I see my mom running after me, like with this look on her face that is like to this day, I have chills, right? I'm not even kidding. To this day, is one of the most terrifying sights I've ever seen because there's like a, like a motherly love passion, but there's also, when I catch you, you're going to die. Look at her face, okay? But there, in, the, in the whole situation in my head, I'm like, my mom is running after me. Like, this didn't make any sense. I was, I was expecting to go back home afterwards and get grounded, but no, 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 Diane Hermance was, was ready to get me. So she's running after me. So I'm like, okay, because I was, I kind of at this point was just running, but like wasn't running from anything. But then I saw my mom. So I like, I pick up the pace. I start running and I look behind me and and I, I, she wasn't actually, but in my head in the story, like I can hear her growling. She wasn't actually growling. But, so she's running after me and she's gaining on me. Like my mom is gaining on me, the soccer player kid. So I'm like literally just as, and so now I'm panicking because a part of me is like really disappointed in myself. Like your mom is catching up to you. But then part of me is like, what's she gonna do when she catches me? Like that's and, and like, and why is she chasing me? Like I, the whole situation did not make any sense whatsoever. And so I'm running, she's running. Again, she's growling. She wasn't actually growling, but it makes the story better. So she comes after me. So she's gaining on me. So we're in literally in my backyard. We, we lived over by Squadron Line. We had this big backyard. We're just running circles around this yard. And, and so my mom is gaining on me. I can feel her breath. And then my mom does logically in the situation what any mom would do. She spear-tackled me. I am not lying, okay? My, my dad's right here. My that you can ask her. My mom, in the moment, I don't know what came over her, but she felt that this would be the right thing to do. And so I'm running 15-year-old teenage boy again, this is like a difficult thing uh, that my mom's catching up to me. And then she dies. She doesn't come next to me and be like, honey, I love you. No, she spear tackles me to the ground, pins me to, this is my mom, pins me to the ground and says something that I will never forget to this day. She says this phrase, there is nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you any less. In this moment, my mom, and again, like, it, when we were, we were recounting the story this week and I was talking to my mom she said you should have seen the look on your face and I'm like but in this moment I didn't know what to expect my mom has caught me she's tackled me again she's on top of me and I'm looking at her Probably, I, I can't imagine what I was looking like I'm thinking about it and she says that phrase there's nothing that you could ever do to make me love you any less let's pray this morning church Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, that your word never returns void, that every time we look into your word, your Holy Spirit reveals more to us. And Father, I pray just that this morning, that as we look at a topic that is is just regular language for a lot of us, but we dig deeper and we challenge ourselves harder, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak through me. And Father, your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to hear this very important and imperative message. In your name we pray Amen See in that story Through the heart See I have an amazing earthly mother I thank the Lord every day For my mom Especially on Mother's Day But in that story My earthly mom Showed me In a a tangible amazing way What the love of the Heavenly Father Looks like In that story The words that she spoke over me in the whole situation Really highlighted to me And made real for me In that moment I didn't get it then I do now which is pretty much how teenagers work, but I didn't get in then, but I do now, that in that moment, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ was played out through this weird, awkward, uncomfortable, wish we had a YouTube video of, interaction that me and my mom had. See, we're in this series called "Newest Come," and the "Newest Come" is based off of actually, um, you know, a conversation that Pastor Clark and I had, and we were we were just talking about identity and newness. So in my life, verse, this tattoo right here on, on my arm is actually the theme verse for "Newest Come." Um, and it's Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation; the old is gone in the new is coming, so we've been kind of going through the, these old habits and these old thought processes and these old uh, identity crises that we have before Jesus, and how we need to walk in the newness and, and these new concepts. And so, of course, Pastor Clark, like he always does when he leaves and goes out of town, he says, "Hey, Dan, you're going to speak on Mother's Day. I'm out of town for Taylor, and you're going to speak on bondage and sin. How's that sound?" And so I'm like, "Thanks, Pastor Clark, on, on Mother." Now, there there could be some jokes that I will not make in that, but um. But, but really, I started diving into this, and, and immediately the Lord brought that story to my heart of my mom in that interaction. Because here's this, the beauty of the gospel that my mom highlighted to me, the beauty of this gospel is this, that even in our brokenness, even in the midst of our sin, even in those dark moments of life where we don't know up from down, God looks at us, and he sees value. And that's everybody across the board. Whether you believe in Christ or not, whether you think God's a joke or not, he sees you, and he sees value. But it goes even further, and then when you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, when you, when you accept that forgiveness, it goes one step further, and God sees you, and he doesn't see the sin that you're committing. He doesn't see what you said to your wife this morning. He doesn't see that website that you looked at. He doesn't see the lie that you told your boss. He sees Jesus. He sees righteousness. Because here's the thing, church, that we're going to be diving into is what does freedom look like now as believers? Now, I'm, I'm going to give a disclaimer this morning. I'm, I'm primarily talking from a position of salvation. And this is what I mean by that. I'm talking from people to you as a church that, that those of you that have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't, I'm gonna give you a chance later on, and this is the most amazing, beautiful decision that you could ever make, but this is kind of the perspective that I'm taking, is those of us brothers and sisters in Christ who have said, Jesus, have all of me, you know, I confess my sins to you, Jesus, become Lord of my life, and then we have this moment of salvation, which is that moment, justification, we're justified for our sins, but then this process of sanctification happens. Now, theologically, these are big words that really just mean you're justified in the moment of salvation, and then the life as a believer, we live in this process called sanctification, where it's simply put, we're trying to look more and more like Jesus at every day. And then one day, glorification, when we go up and see the Father. But the beauty of the gospel, there's some foundational truth that's important for us to understand. And so I want to read Ephesians 2, 1-22. And this is one of the foundational verses as we jump into this this morning. It says, this is Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us with, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. See, when saved, as I said before, God doesn't see our failures, He doesn't see our shortcomings. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, and when God sees us, we we are justified and he sees righteousness. He sees his son, Jesus. And for us to say that he sees anything else will completely discount the power of the cross. And through the cross, and this is kind of where we're jumping in today, through the cross, our bondage, the sin, all these things that held us back, even in that verse, as, as our old lives, all the fleshly things, all the sins that held us, we are free from. But now, today, we're going to focus on what's our response to that? Because we love to talk about freedom all the time, and we're going to do that a lot this morning, but there needs to be a response of freedom, not because this religion says so and you feel guilty, but because you're so grateful to the great God who gave everything to you as a gift that you want to respond to nothing but obedience. We're going to be looking a lot this morning at the writings of Paul, and, and I wanted to give this background because Paul is one of, of you know, the, the champions of faith. And if you don't know, Paul wrote... You know, he was one of the followers, you know, that after in Acts, after Acts, that he wrote a lot of the books that we see in the New Testament. We call them the Pauline epistles, but he wrote all these books. And this is the cool part, though. The books were from the perspective of letters to the early church. The books were literally discipleship tools to teach Christ followers like you and I how to do this better. Because we see, again, we see in the, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, we see Jesus coming and living and dying and all this amazing process. Then we see Jesus handing off his ministry to his 12 disciples in Acts. And, this, this, uh, and again, if you haven't read Acts, you need to get in that. It's like literally one of the most exciting, crazy, epic stories of this early church. Our early church, like the beginning of this. And then messing it up and, and then trying their best. And then you see Paul's journeys. And then you see these letters That Paul wrote to all these churches. But here's the context that I want to give you, because it's important to understand that the context back then is just as valuable here, but there's another wrench in the works when Paul wrote in the time that he wrote these letters. See, we see, we see these books like Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and all these letters that Paul wrote to these churches that were not quite used to the idea of grace yet, this is literally a church has sprung right out of Jesus coming and living in these miracles and him ascending. But they really wrestled with what it meant to, to live by grace. By grace you've been saved, we see in Ephesians. But they struggle with this concept. And so you see in Paul's writing, especially like if you look at the beginning of the book of Romans, you see Paul walking through these rudimentary concepts of this is what grace is. This is what the gospel is. It's so simple, but it's so difficult to, to accept some time for people. And this is why. You have this early church where the, the backdrop of this whole thing is this church that lived in the Old Covenant. Now, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to explain a lot of these terminologies for you today. There's a lot of meat in this. So, so I apologize if I'm going quickly, but there's a lot to cover. But this Old Covenant, we see this, this early church, or not, right before the early church, we see this early church coming out of this Old Covenant, which was based on Religion. See, now kind of the thing to say, and something that we stand for here at Valley Brook, and Pastor Clark says it all the time, is it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's not about following a bunch of rules, it's about following a man named Jesus. But back then, they literally came out of a culture that that was the whole thing, that God set up a culture called the law that these people followed in order to, to kind of justify themselves before the Lord in order to seek after righteousness, in order to pay God, and and that's how they paid for their sins. They had sacrifices. I mean, if you want to have your mind blown, read the book of Leviticus. I mean, this is a book that is literally a law that is, like, overwhelming to read, especially in today's age. So you have these people who this plan that was set up by God was for them to follow this this law, and there's a purpose of the law in the end, but for them to follow this law, and that's how they got right with God. And so it was religion. It was, it was supposed to be at this time. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. Jesus comes, he lives, he dies. We know this story, and, he, and it says a veil was torn. People could enter into the presence of God now, and there was a new way. It wasn't about following the law anymore. It was about following a man named Jesus in a relationship. But people in this time struggled with this concept because they were so used to what culture they came out of. People were so used to following the rules, and this is how we got right with God, that when Paul's like, hey, no, 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 it's not about that anymore. I mean, that's all, that's good, like, don't throw that out, but it's about Jesus. And it's this free gift, and it's not from anything that you do. These people were, literally, minds were blown, so much so that you see over and over again in every single one of Paul's books, and every single one of Paul's letters to the church, you see him highlighting, this is what grace is, and it is free. And not only is this what grace is, is free, but the freedom of grace brings you freedom in your life. And so we're going to kind of come from this perspective this morning. But before we look at the application, because a lot of people want to get right to the end of, all right, so how do I not sin? I'm free from the bondage of sin. How do I not do that? But it's important for us to understand what I call the theology of sin and freedom in the life of a believer. Because a lot of times there's these rudimentary concepts. And so I'm going to take the approach of Paul, not in any way, because I think that our church doesn't understand these concepts, but it's always important for us to understand these foundational issues that we have before we try to solve them. You know, there's that expression that if you have a cut and you don't clean it out, you just put a shiny bandit on it, it might be good for a day or two, but it's going to end up getting infected and you might have to cut your arm off. You know, but if you if you have a cut, that's extreme, but if you have a cut... And you, and you go in and you clean it out and you dig and you have those hard conversations and you look at the difficult things in the moment, it's difficult. But then when you put that Band-Aid on and you follow the, the right procedures, which are hard and painful, then you can actually start healing. And so for me, I wanna go back and dig a little deeper. And so there's a couple points. And this is kind of the roadmap where we're going today. There's a couple points that we're gonna be looking at of the theology of our freedom. And then we're gonna look at how we become free, how we live that out, how we walk that out. Point one is this. And I know this is obvious to most of us, but a lot of times we don't. it's not evident in how we live. Salvation is by grace alone, it is free. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, and this is again a, a writing by Paul to the church of Ephesus. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For by grace you've been saved, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may I boast. See, Paul is not just saying in the reality, hey, by grace you've been saved. He could have stopped there, but he realized the audience that he was speaking to is like, and just so you know, it has nothing to do with you. The only thing it has to do with you is the fact that God loves you so much. But your grace, your salvation, by grace you've been saved, it's not because you're the new mother Teresa. It's not because you you never have told a lie. It's not because you don't swear as much as, as your unsaved friends. It's not because you know, you're faithful to your wife. It's not because of those. It's because of Jesus. And he literally went on, he said, I want I want to make sure of this, because he literally, he, he said probably more than he needed to, because he could have just said, by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of your own doing. But then he goes on, he says, it's a gift of God, not the results of work, so that no man may boast. He doesn't want to take the credit from God in any way, shape, or form. And so we see this freedom, but I think the early church, like the early church, they struggled with this idea of, here you go. But I think we do as well in our culture today, especially, honestly, in New England, growing up here, doing ministry here. We're involved in this thing called the Hartford Project. And registration, by the way, this is a plug for student ministries. Registration for the Hartford Project is open for our high school students and our middle school students. If you're not signed up, you need to do that. It's one of the most life-changing weeks you've ever experienced. Also adults, we need some leaders. So please see David Seiler after church. That's my shameless plug. But there's something called the Hartford Project. I've been doing Hartford Project for about 10 years. You know, I, I did it when I was a student and then you know, up through being here as a student pastor. And, and there's this thing that we do in Hartford called Love Wins. And Love Wins is a very simple concept. Basically during the week of Hartford Project, we do these Love Wins rallies where we shut down different roads in Hartford. A lot of times we, we, we're intentional in shutting down areas that are, are crime, you know, kind of local crime spots. We shut down the road and we literally just do a free rally. We do free food, we do free haircuts, free, like, health um, consulting, free clothes, I mean, free bounce houses. It's, It's quite the amazing, you know, experience. And so, but before that, we usually do that later on in the week, like Wednesday or Thursday. So Monday and Tuesday, the students and the leaders will walk around the city of Hartford with these papers and and they'll hand them out saying, hey, we want you to come. This is happening on Barber Street. Come on down. Come hang with us. Free food, free clothes. You know, we're just doing this. We, we love this city. We want to bless the city. God loves you. And without fail, 95% of people that I went up to said, what's the catch? Because we struggle with this concept. I mean, like, if somebody came to your door at your house and said, hey, here's 100 bucks, you'd be like, okay, what's the cat? Like, we just struggle. I and mean, that would be weird. But we just struggle with this idea of, of free. And so these people would literally come, and they would come, and they had nothing. And they would come and leave with bags of clothing, and the whole time they'd be looking around like, waiting for us to bombard them with the Holy Spirit. Like, but it would literally, the whole point of that, it wasn't about like, having an altar call. It was just literally about being Jesus to our community. But so many people struggle with that freedom. But I think that a lot of you and I wrestle with it. I've wrestled with that so much in my life. The concept, there's no way that grace can be free. Point two is this. Our salvation is sealed. Nothing can unsave you. John 10, 28 through 29 says this. I give them eternal life that they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is Jesus talking. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 11, 25-26, I'm sorry, Romans eight thirty eight through 39 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in crea- creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I was one of those kids growing up that, like, I, I went to Camp Berea as a Christian camp, and I was one of those kids that, Every year at summer camp, I would be up front at the altar call accepting Christ again into my own life. You know, Every year, every retreat, I would like say the prayer in the back just, just to make sure I covered. Like Maybe I didn't say the right words last time, so like I'm going to say the exact words this time just to make sure I was covered. But the reality that a lot of us have struggled with is we have this performance mindset to where if we don't live up to the expectations that we, or maybe even the church, have put on us, that maybe God won't love us anymore then maybe we'll lose our salvation. And there are certain streams in different denominations that do believe that, but we at Valley Brook stand with the fact that when you come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you have that justification moment, the Holy Spirit indwells you and never leaves. And there's nothing you can do or say, there's no sin that you can commit that will ever change that God sees Jesus in you. But even that truth, sometimes we struggle with because we have this performance-minded mentality that if we're not performing correctly, then we don't get the prize. Point three is this. Salvation enables us to walk in freedom. This seems simple, but this is probably one of the most complicated concepts that I dove into this week and began to get caught up in this whirlwind of theological views on different things in the life of the believer. There's a lot of different fields of thought. Honestly, even in in the same um, denomination camps, I mean, you have have John MacArthur, who is a respected theologian, thinking one thing. You have Billy Graham, who is in the same camp, thinking something completely different. When John MacArthur and Billy Graham fight, it's like nothing good can happen from that. But, you know, we see this whole thing, but one of the things that everybody can agree upon is that that moment of salvation, our Listen Close Church, this is where we're sitting today, that moment of salvation, we are enabled to sin no more. There's tension in that statement. I read that this week, and I looked at my life, and I'm, I was like, man. <laughs> because a lot of times, I think we sell ourselves short. I've heard the phrase, and we're going we're gonna to get to this in a second, but I've heard the phrase so many times, well, I'm just a man. Or, well, that's just my sinful nature. But if you read God's Word, it says this. It says Romans 8, 1-4, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, or not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And this is the best for Romans 6, 6-7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. The reality of the verses in the purest form is that we have been equipped to sin no more. And that's not something I'm saying to then have you look in your life and feel like all guilty. You're like, oh man, I'm really messing this up. But there's a reality and there's a foundational truth that no matter what you believe with the old nature and the new nature, and there's some of these, you know, the theological argument is whether our old nature is dormant or dead. That's irrelevant. What everybody can agree on is that we are all equipped to sin no more, but yet, why do we still fall into sin? 2 Corinthians 5.17 again, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is, is here. All these scriptures talk about how Jesus has crushed the power of the flesh, how the old has gone, but yet we use that as an excuse so much to live in our sin instead of calling ourselves higher. So why do we sin? Why do do I look at my life and I see all these areas and my shortcomings and all the ways that I've, I've, and sin is just literally doing something against the will of God for your life. It might be telling a lie. It might be something bigger than that. Regardless, we all still have this baggage and the best kind of metaphor I saw was this. You know, in our old life when we become justified and we come to that moment of salvation, God sees us and he sees his son Jesus. We are justified in his eyes, but we carry our baggage in to our new life. We carry the way we think from our old life into our new life. We carry the way we feel into our own life and our new life. And so we have this baggage that there's this cool process called sanctification. These are just big theological words, but justified is the moment of salvation. Sanctification, is a, simply put again, is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And in that process, we work through our baggage. We work through the stuff in the old life you know, that, that we still hold on to. Because Jesus, you know, he... he, he cut the chains. He opened the prison door. He set us free. There is no limit to the freedom of the cross. Please hear that this morning. But what happens a lot is instead of walking out of our prison cell and being free and going and reaching people, we just kind of hang out in it. We just kind of hang out in it because we're comfortable there. Or we're used to it. Or it might feel safer to us. So why do we still sin? Billy Graham writes this. and I love this quote. He says, The flesh is the evil tendency of your inward self. Even after you are converted, sometimes your old sinful cravings will return. You become startled and wonder where they came from. The Bible teaches us that the old nature, with all its corruption, is still there and that these evil temptations come from nowhere else. In other words, a traitor is living within. That wretched bent towards sin is ever present to drag you down. War has been declared. You now have two natures in conflict, and each one is stirring for dominance. The Bible teaches in Galatians 5, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It is the battle of the self-life and the Christ life. This old nature cannot please God. It cannot be converted or even patched up. Thank God when Jesus took, when Jesus died, he took you with him. And the old nature can be inoperative so you can consider yourselves dead unto sin. And this is done by faith. See, whether, again, the battle is whether there's an old nature and a new nature, or whether we have a single divine nature. And again, for me, that's irrelevant. Billy Graham obviously believes that there's an old nature that lays, you know, dormant and it comes up. But no matter what, we realize that we have baggage from the old life. I like to call it our, our battle in the flesh, rather than our battle with the old nature, because I think it helps me understand that a little better. But we all have this battle with our flesh, and that is why we still sin. So how can we walk in freedom? Because I could stop here, and this would be like. An interesting thing, but it would be completely discouraging because there's no action steps. But my goal is to enable our church and to give you keys and tools and how you can walk in your freedom, how you can say, Oh, the prison door's open. Let me run out and let me run wild and crazy. That doesn't mean that you're gonna be happy and rich and, and all these things, but that means that you'll live in the calling and the freedom that Jesus paid for. So I'm gonna give you three simple points. <laughs> I tried to bring it down to three things. I tried. Number one, and I think this is probably the most important one, we continue to sin because our minds aren't transformed. Romans 12, 1-2 through two in the ESV says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So right here, Paul is saying, hey, I appeal to you. It's your worship. Present yourself holy. This is the way that you worship is presenting yourself before God as sinless, as holy. And then he says this. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, in what is good and acceptable and perfect? Let me read that one more time. Listen carefully. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect." I was on the phone with my um, my father-in-law. He's a, a really awesome pastor in Indiana. It's Lisa's father, and he just he knows the Word, unlike many people that I've ever met. And so I'm talking with him about this, and, and he made this statement that I really appreciated. He said, what we do, or we do what we do and we feel what we feel because we think what we think. See, his, his mindset is that the center of our soul is our mind. So let me, let me say that again. We do what we do and we feel what we feel because we think what we think. And I think Paul knew that, that the center of our action and the center of the reason which we, we probably sin is because we're thinking in the old and not in the new. So how do we think in the new? Paul said, You need to daily, you need to renew your mind. You need to transform yourself by renewing your mind. The Bible talks about how we should be in the word daily. It talks about how we should be constantly in prayer. But many times we treat our relationship with God not like what it should be, but instead we treat it like a middle school relationship. It's like we see God every once in a while. We say hi. We're kind of nervous about it. We might have like a conversation when like we're like awkwardly like in the same space, but then like, and then we break up and we forget about it. If I treated my marriage, and this is a hard truth for myself, if I treated my marriage to my wife, Lisa, like I do my relationship with the Lord, then we would have a really difficult marriage. And I'm just being transparent. Because there's days, oh, you know what, I spent all day studying for this message, so I'm not going to do my devotional today. Or I'm just not in the mood to worship this morning. You know, Jesus talks and he gave this challenge. This would have been a great Mother's Day message. He gave this challenge, you know, to his followers. He said, hey, in your perspective of your love for God, you should hate your mothers, hate your fathers, hate your brothers, ha- hate everybody. Not saying you should actually hate people, but in, in you know, perspective, you know, in comparison to your love for God, everything else should seem bad. Everything else should seem hateful because you love God that much. But does that really, is that how our relationship with God works? We make excuses not to pursue him. You know, a lot of us have Bibles that have been dusty, and, and we don't read them. You know, I can tell you that, that in this in this Scripture, it says we read that we're transformed, our minds are renewed, and then we can test God's perfect will, that then the Holy Spirit can use. I mean, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to, to reveal Scripture to us. And then when we're in situations where we're like, oh, should I do this? It we, we comes to mind that Scripture, Oh, honor your mother and father. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't, you know, cuss out my mom if I'm upset. Oh, this, like, all these different things that transforming our minds helps change the way we think. Because again, if we think correctly, then we do things correctly and we feel correctly. What I mean by correctly is we're in the will of God. The mind is the center of our soul. So if we're not focusing our mind on Jesus, if we're focusing our mind on success or money or other things that the world tells us important instead of our love for God, then you're going to feel and do things that are completely contrary to his will. Number two, our view of ourselves is skewed and rationalizes sin. Don't sell yourself short with the excuse of, I just have sinful nature. It grinds my gears so much to hear my brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey, you know what? I'm just a sinful person. Because I think you're settling for something way less than greatness. God didn't call us to live in our sinful nature. He called us to freedom. 1 Corinthians 10 13, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of es- escape that you may be able to endure it. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God in through God, through Paul in these writings, is saying, Hey church, I'm calling you higher. I'm calling you not to settle and say, Oh, you know what? I'm just a man. Or I'm just a woman. Like, I'm imperfect, so. Grace is not just saying, hey, do whatever you want. What it is saying, this is seen there's tension here. Because what grace is saying is, if you do whatever you want, you're covered. But the reason we follow and we walk out in righteousness is not because of religion, but because we're so grateful for who God is and that he saved us. Number three, and this is where we're going to end this morning. It says, our culture says it's better to seem okay than to actually be okay. I'm going to change this and make this a little bit more real. Our church culture says it's better to seem okay than to actually be okay. One of the hardest parts for me in my high school and middle school years was that I lived with the tension of the decisions that I was making in, in the culture that I was living in. Now, please don't get me wrong. I am not saying, like, I grew up in Valley Brook. I love this church. We have always been a grace-driven church. But the message that I heard as I was struggling teenage guy was, get your act together, have it all figured out, then you can come and do what you want to do. If you don't have your act together, you're just, you know, you're not worthy. One of the main struggles that the church faces in this area is that until we create environments that can be honest about our struggles, then we'll never truly understand what grace is. And I think that that's hard in this area too. There's this tension in the area that we live in that if, if, if we don't have it all figured out, if my marriage isn't perfect, If my finances aren't all figured out, if my job isn't like the most rewarding thing in the world, if my kids aren't perfectly behaved, then then I don't want anybody to know that because I need to look like I have it all together. Well, I guarantee you, because I know a lot of you, if you look around the room, there's somebody more messed up than you are sitting in this room this morning. And the reality is, is that we're not honest as a church because, again, we don't understand the power of grace. James 5, 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, notice the first part. It doesn't just say, hey, pray for each other, you'll be healed. It says, hey, get real with one another. Confess your junk. Don't, it doesn't say, and then judge, and then, you know, you know text somebody else, say, hey, guess what this person's going through. No, it says, confess your sins to a brother, a sister in Christ, and then pray for each other, and you'll be healed. I want to close with this one last story. You know, as I told you before, I really did struggle growing up in a lot of ways. You know, starting in middle school and high school, I just had this identity crisis. I dealt with major anger issues. I I dealt with just who I am. I'm a creative person, and I I just just kind of stumbled through who I was as a teenager. More difficult than I think a lot of, of teenagers. I have an amazing mom and dad who love the Lord, who have been, you know, a part of planting this church. But I, in my head wanted nothing to do with them as a stubborn teenage kid and because they were the God people I wanted nothing to do with God so I completely walked away from my faith I lost my best friend in a car accident my freshman year and and my partying turned into um, my medication if that makes sense and I I dove into hard the world of addiction and the world of just sin in in a way that I had never experienced before obviously And I remember my high school, I was about a sophomore, junior, and I was a broken, hurting wreck. And the message that I heard from the church, whether this was truth or not, and whether even the church said it or not, I I don't even know. I can just tell you what I heard was until you get your stuff together, until you look like us, you're not worthy of God's love. And I genuinely thought, church, I genuinely thought, as they heard me, and, and I think the teenage, a lot of teenagers think this way, I genuinely thought that, that God did not love me because of what I was doing. And that's why I went over those truth statements, because I genuinely in my head was like, there's no way that God could possibly love me. And so my junior year, I went to a Young Life camp. I went there in no way to engage with God. I, I, knew, I grew up in church. I knew how it was going to work. They're going to have their camp. On, on Thursday night, it's going to be the cry night. Everybody's going to cry. Go forward. That's Jesus night, yay. And like, I'll go home and then fake it for a week and then whatever. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted nothing. I literally went into that, like, making a pact with myself. I will not engage with God this week because I'm terrified, genuinely. I probably wouldn't have identified that then, but I was terrified. And so Thursday night came and, like, the, the structure of these things usually happen. Thursday night came the the speaker was giving the salvation message. And Young Life has a cool way of doing things that are very not churchy, which actually reached me in in a very deep way. And and what I didn't realize is that my friends were impacted so much that these buddies that I used to party with told our youth leader, his name is Alan Donahue, told Alan what I was going through because they felt that that I was going down a path that I probably wouldn't live very long. And so I remember that night, Alan's in my room, and, and or we're in the room getting ready for the night activity with some crazy youth group activity, and all the guys had left, and Alan and I are headed out the door, and Alan shuts the door and stands in front of it, and he says, Dan, you're not leaving this room until you tell me what's going on in your life. And immediately, I just, like, I beefed up, and I was a little kid, again, I was this skinny kid. Alan's a big dude, and I'm, but I in my head, I'm like, I'm going to fight this man. Like, I'm going to fight him before I come clean. Like, I'm going to... It's just gonna happen. I'm gonna fight an adult. Great, let's see what happens. And so, so literally, I buff up. I'm like, Alan, I'm fine. Just let me, let me go. Because I knew, I knew he knew something. And so again, Dan, tell me what's going on with you. Nothing, Alan. Nothing, Alan. And I, I'm literally, I'm getting angry. And he looked at me and he said these words. He said, Dan, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I love you and God loves you. And it completely went over my head the first time. I'm just like, I'm just upset. He said it again, Dan, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I love you and God loved you. And by the third time, church, I was on the ground. I was on the ground in tears, and I said, oh, yeah, Alan? Because I wasn't ready to accept that yet. I said, oh, oh, yeah, Alan? Well, here's what I've done. And I went through the list of my sin. And I literally, genuinely, church, thought that I could break the mold of grace, that God's, like, grace is for everybody, oof, (laughs) and, like, walk away from me. And so I told him at the end, and I was ready for him to be like, oh, I didn't, shouldn't have asked that question. And he looked at me again with tears in his eyes, and he said, the word, Dan, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God loves you, and I love you. There is nothing you could ever do to make you love me, me love you any less. And in that moment, I truly understand. I understood the beauty of freedom. See, in that moment, even those three points that I gave you, I was honest, I confessed to a brother. He preached identity over me. Because here's the cool thing. This is why genuinely I feel, I mean, it was obviously a God encounter, the Holy Spirit was there, but he then said, Dan, I want to call you higher because you're worth so much more than the life that you're living. He preached identity over me. Because a lot of times, guys, we focus on the sin more than we focus on the person that we need to be calling higher. We look at this person and say, hey, this is what you're struggling with. Stop it. Look at it, stop it. And we don't say, hey, you know what? I know you're struggling with that. You're better than that. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're set free. So I'm calling you, I'm going to raise you higher instead of just glorifying what you're going through. And he turned me back to my relationship with Jesus. Over the next six months, Alan and I did regular Bible studies. We were in the Word. He checked in with me daily. And and, and then over six months then, my deal with him was I told my parents, which is a whole other story for another time. But in that moment, I experienced true freedom from bondage because I said you know what this has nothing to do with me because I'm broken and to this day I experience that freedom I've been clean for a long time amen because I experienced the freedom from the bondage that helped me back and, and daily I'm going through that process daily I'm in the word daily I'm saying God I want to know more of you but here's the takeaway from this message this morning Some of you need to hear this morning that in the midst of your struggles and pain, God still loves you and you are covered and set free. For some of you, it means you need, you're challenged to reconnect with God, that you have walked away from that personal relationship with the Lord. You're saved, you're justified, but you've kind of paused the sanctification process. That you've been living your life more following rules instead of following a man named Jesus. For some of you, it might mean confessing your sins. It might mean getting together with a brother and sister and saying, listen, this is going to be hard to heal, but this is what I'm going through. I get to do that. With, I get the the privilege of doing that with a lot of people because of the role that I'm in. And I'll tell you what, seeing somebody go through that process and the weight that's lifted off their shoulders when they said, hey, this is what I've done, and being able to smile at them and say, hey, God loves you and I love you, now I'm going to call you higher. Maybe for some of you, it... It means finding community, finding accountability so people can call you higher. Whether it's one of those things, whether it's just realizing your identity, for some of you it might mean accepting Jesus and and meeting grace for the first time in your life, but no matter where you are, I want everybody to walk out of this room understanding that we are called and made for more. That the bondage that was in our old life and in the flesh has been beaten by the power of the cross and we are set free. So as we close, I want to tell you this. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you any less. And if I have to tackle you in the the yard of the church like my mom did, I'll do it. There's nothing that you could ever do to make me love you any less. But more importantly, there's nothing that you could ever do, think, feel, say. There's no place that you could ever go that will make God love you any less. So let's walk out in that freedom this morning, church. Let me give you the benediction. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Go in peace. And before you leave, as I say this, women, please, we'd love to give you a gift. Please grab a a carnation on the way out. Thank you so much. If you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Also, our prayer team will be up front. If the Holy Spirit works in your heart, which I pray that he did this morning, let's come pray for it. Let's come process it. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day.